I'd like you this morning, if you would please, to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. And we are thankful for another Lord's Day that God has given us where we can come together and to listen and learn these great truths that Jesus taught to his disciples. And what we have been learning here are truths of the kingdom of God. Uh, This is a chapter that is filled with parables about the kingdom. And Jesus used parables that's a story, real-life illustrations, to teach his disciples because there was so much misunderstanding about what the kingdom was and how it would come, what form it was in when Jesus was here, and then, of course, how that uh, the kingdom that comes where God establishes a righteous reign over the whole earth does not happen until Jesus comes in the second coming. Now, the Jews very much misunderstood that. Jesus' disciples misunderstood it. They thought that when the Messiah came, that the kingdom would come immediately. And so they were always looking for the visible signs of it. They were looking for tangible things. They were looking for Christ to have an army, for there to be government buildings and parades and displays of military victories. And yet, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, and the people saw none of those things. What they did see were miracles of compassion. They saw that people were healed. They saw how that Jesus virtually obliterated disease from the land of Israel. And yet after all that they had seen, the Apostle John records, but though he had done so many miracles, yet they believed not on him. So he wasn't what they expected him to be. His kingdom was not what they expected. And so they refused to receive him or his kingdom. Now, what we have in the study today, what we're going to talk about in this hour, are two parables that teach the value of God's kingdom. How that God's kingdom is the highest prize that anyone can attain. And in order to get God's kingdom, you have to abandon everything, all of your personal agenda, everything that you are, everything that you're trying to hold on to, give it all up, or else God will not give the kingdom to you. Now, for most people, that's not the kind of Christianity that they claim. They're happy to have Christianity, and they're willing to talk about Christianity and to say that they're Christians if it means that they don't actually have to abandon all personal ambitions. They don't want a Christianity that says that that they have to reject what they want and that they are to accept all of Christ's claims, his exclusive claim that he has on them. And they don't really want to give up all to follow Christ in order to be his disciple. And so what most Christian people are doing today, or what you would call Christian people or in Christian churches, what they do is they tack on Christ to what they're doing. That Christ becomes an appendage to them. Christ is one of their things, but he's not really the only thing. Now, the truth of these parables is a very simple illustration of two life situations First is of a man who finds a hidden treasure in a field, and then a merchant man who is looking for the finest pearl that he can find, and then he buys it. And Jesus used that as examples of his kingdom and how we have to receive the kingdom of God. Now, if you'll stand with me for just a moment as we look at these two parables. Matthew chapter 13, verse number 44. Jesus said, again, The kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word and help us to understand your word today, Lord, and help us to be those who seek the kingdom of God and are willing to give up everything to own you, to have you, and to follow you, and to be your disciple. Lord, help us to be that kind of people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If I could summarize for you what Jesus has to say in these two short parables... I would make my explanation as sweet and as short as the parables are themselves. And so it all comes down to a question, to these questions. What does it mean to be a Christian and what does it take to be a Christian? Now usually what we want to do is to make the gospel very simple and well we should. The gospel is not to be so complicated that people can't understand it. The gospel is that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's how the Bible describes that salvation comes to us. And what we would never want to do is to alter the simple message that God has given us to preach to people about how people can be saved. But at the same time, we do have to understand what Jesus is teaching here, that those that are really earnestly seeking to come into the kingdom of God must consider that Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure of their life. To be a Christian means that you have to abandon your personal religion, whatever it is that you're following, give up all of your ambitions, forsake everything that you are in order to have God's kingdom. That's what it actually means to live under the reign of Jesus Christ. And so a question is answered in these parables. Is it possible to be a Christian and yet have Christ occupy a secondary place in your heart? Now this is where we want to begin today. And this is with the evaluation of the kingdom. How do we evaluate the kingdom of God? And both of these parables begin with a discovery of the kingdom. Both of these involve a personal evaluation of it. And we'll look at this and compare the ways that these men found what they were looking for, found a treasure that they were looking for, found a pearl that one was looking for, and the way that they found them is quite different. In verse 44 it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field, The which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Now really what we're talking about here, Jesus is using that as a comparison of the kingdom. There's an evaluation that's being made here. And here is a man who has made a great discovery. But it's a discovery that he makes by accident. He's not really looking for this. He passed by a field. Or perhaps he was working in this field. And he'd been there many times, maybe, passed by it many times, or had worked in it many times. But at this particular time, there's something that really catches his eye, and he goes to investigate. Perhaps having been in that field many times, he never noticed this before, but this time something does not look quite right. And so he goes to investigate. He, He may notice that the dirt in the field looks a little bit unusual, Perhaps there's a slight unevenness and a mound of dirt that's in that field. And so he notices it and he sits down or he bends down and he begins to dig in that topsoil. 
And as he pulls away the topsoil, to his great surprise, there he finds a valuable hidden treasure. Now, I've told you before that the parables are illustrations of real-life situations. This is one thing I've never done. I've been through a lot of fields. I remember when I was a kid, uh, we used to had a we were in a church that was in a country a country area, and we'd walk through fields and we'd play in fields. And I went through fields a lot of times. But one thing I never did do, I never did stumble on a treasure. I never found a treasure in a field. Remember a few years ago that we were on vacation, and I took one of those metal detectors that you find people you see people walking up and down the beach, and they're you know, searching for something, and I took one of those, and I thought, well, I'll see if I can find something valuable out on the beach. And the most valuable thing that I could find was the pull top off of a soda can. And so I I became convinced very quickly that it's not worth the time and the effort to do that, to go looking for buried treasure, because you're not likely to find one. Well, here, Jesus using the parable is actually illustrating something that was common, This man didn't have uh, a metal detector. He wasn't actually looking for a treasure, but he stumbled upon it. And we might think, well, that's really not likely to happen. But it's interesting that these things did happen in Palestine. I'm not saying they happen to people every day, or else everybody in the whole country would be rich. But it was not a, a wild, outlandish tale for Jesus to talk about a story about a man finding a treasure in a field. And this is... Because Israel was a war-torn country, to the south of Israel there was the great dynasty of Egypt and the kings that were there, and to the north and to the east were Assyria and Rome, and Israel actually became the land bridge that brought those great nations together, and what they would do is they would come into Israel, and many times they would be fighting right on the, on, on the soil of Israel. So Israel was caught in the middle of all of these conflicts, And there would be marauders that would come through. There would be people that were robbers, and they would come and rob and pillage the land. And so people had no place to put their money, no place to protect it. There weren't any banks. And so what they would do is they would take their money, and they would hide it in the ground and wait until all the robbers were gone and all the wars were over. And then when they needed it, they would go back, and they would dig up that treasure that they buried in the field. You may remember that Jesus told the story about this in Matthew chapter 25, and uh, he gave the parable of the talents there. And this is, he tells the story, and I won't go through it all, but he tells the story of how some servants were given a certain amount of money, and they were expected to take that money and to invest it and to increase it so that when the master came back, he would receive the increase of his money. But there was one of the servants that was afraid that he was going to lose the money And so what he did was took it, he took it, and he hid it in the ground. The safest place to put it was in the ground, and he was sure that he wouldn't lose it. And so when the man whose money it was, the master, came back, he would be able to give him all of his money because he had buried it and it hadn't been lost. So this wasn't an uncommon thing. There were many people that buried their treasures in fields or other places so that robbers and and these armies couldn't find them. But one of the problems is that sometimes those people would get killed as these robbers came through. And then that treasure that they buried was lost. Nobody knew where it was. It had been buried in the field. And so what would happen is that sometime later, 
Someone would come along and they would stumble upon that treasure and they would have these valuables that this person had buried. That's what happened with this man. This is why it's not a surprise to the apostles when when Jesus talks about this. These are things that actually happen. So this man is walking through the field. He, He stumbled upon the treasure and he immediately recognized how valuable it was what he had found. And so what he did was not to dig the treasure up and try to carry it out, but instead he carefully covered it back up And then he went and he took all the money that he could put together, everything that he had, and he went and bought the field so that he could own the treasure. Now, as a sidelight to that, we might say, well, this really seems to be an ethical question. The field was not owned by the man that found the treasure, and he didn't go and advise the owner of what he had found, but instead covered it back up and went and raised the money to buy that field. Well, first I'd say that the ethical situation of this is not really what Jesus is trying to get across, but we do notice that the disciples raised no objections about it. Not one of them said, well, I don't think that's quite right. I think what he should have done, he should have gone and advised the owner of this field and told him he had that treasure there. But they didn't do that. They didn't raise any objections. And the reason that they didn't was because this kind of thing was allowed under the Jewish rabbinical law. If you found a treasure in the field, it didn't, own, it didn't belong to the guy that owned the field, and so you could rightfully claim it. And what this man did to go and raise the money to buy the field was perfectly acceptable under the law. Under the law. But the important thing of it is that the man recognized the treasure that he found. He wasn't looking for the treasure, but he came upon it, and when he saw it, he knew he had to have it. It's better than anything that he ever had, and so he sold everything he had in order to buy the field. The second parable is similar, but the method of discovery is different. If you look at verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now here also we have an evaluation. Both men valued what they had found so greatly that they gave up everything they had in order to obtain it. Now this man is a little bit different though. This is a merchant man. This is a man who's in the business of trading in fine pearls. So he's a seeker. And his whole life, what he had been doing was seeking for the most valuable pearl that he could find. And when he found that pearl, that would end his search forever. And so we can imagine as this man is trying to find this pearl that he goes and visits all of the little villages and seaports up and down the coast. He's looking for the best pearl that he can find. And so he goes into the shops along the way and he asks about this. Do you have any pearls to sell? And the owner of the shop would go behind the counter and pull out a little bag and then he would pour out the pearls and the man would look at those and he would feel each one of them and he'd say well no no these are not the pearls that I'm looking for this this is not the I have seen pearls like this before these aren't the pearls of the greatest price but then he goes on and he keeps looking and he goes to another shop and another man brings out a bag of pearls and as he does this man spies one of these pearls in that bag is, or as he pours it out on the counter and he sees that and he knows this is the best pearl that there is. There is no better pearl, no more expensive one than this. This is the best that can be found, the perfect pearl. And so without too much excitement shown, 
He just leaves it for a while, and he goes and gathers up all the money that he can, sells everything else that he has, and he goes and he buys that pearl. Now he owns the one pearl of great price. What, what, what do we learn from this? What, what's the message that we find here? Well, there are a few things that we can learn from it. One, I think, is that people come to Christ in different ways. There's not a uniform experience in conversion. This first man that was found the treasure wasn't actually looking for it. He stumbled upon it. We know that no one actually stumbles upon salvation. I mean, we're, we're very much aware that every time that God saves someone, that is a, an act of the providential hand of God. That God puts people into the circumstances where they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and then they believe. And yet there are some people that never have the sense that they actually needed Christ. They go into a church service or wherever. They had, they had no idea that they needed Christ. They're not really looking for him. They don't really care about him. But they come upon him or they hear the gospel message and they immediately want to receive that because they know that that's the best thing that they've ever heard. That's the testimony of my dad. The first time that he was ever in church was when he was 25 years old. And the reason that he went to church was really on a lark. Didn't go because he was interested in hearing anything. He didn't go because he wanted to become a believer in Jesus Christ. No, he he went because really his purpose was to go and heckle the preacher. The preacher was his cousin. His cousin had just been saved. And my dad could not believe this, that this guy that he used to run around with, the one he was good friends with, the one who did all the things that they did, was, had now become a Christian, or as we would say, he got religion. And, and not only that, but he became a preacher. And my, and my dad couldn't fathom that, so he decided, well, let's just go see what it's all about. And so he went to the church that night where he was preaching, and his intention was to sit there and make fun of his cousin through the entire service. And that's exactly what he did. He made fun of him all the way through. Never listened to a word that was said. Uh, talked and cut his way up all the way through it. Never heard, never actually listened to the gospel of Christ as it was being preached. But then after the service was over, there was a preacher's wife who took him aside and showed him the treasure that's hidden in Jesus Christ. And in that few minutes, my dad believed what he heard. And for the first time in his life, he heard the gospel of Christ. The first time in church, he became a Christian. And you say, how does that happen? Well, it's because he saw the value of Christ. What he saw was that Jesus Christ was worth more than the life that he was living. Jesus was worth more than the farm and and the life that he was carving out for himself. And so what he actually did was to give up everything to have Christ. In a literal way, and things that you don't actually see happen today, usually what he did was he sold everything. He sold his farm, and he decided to go to Kentucky and to become a preacher, to go to school there and become a preacher. And he became a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of that treasure in Jesus Christ that he found or that was shown to him in that little church way out in the middle of Kansas. And there are some that come to Christ that way. They're not really looking. They've walked over the field many times and they haven't seen anything unusual. They see no reason to make an investigation. Hundreds of cars 
past this church every single day. And how many stop in to see what we're doing here? And how many really believe that there could be a treasure that's in this church? They don't see any value in it, and so they don't come. But every now and then, someone does stop, and they find here a treasure that they never even knew existed. Now, on the other hand, you have people like the merchant man, some who are very religious people, we might say, people that have a lot of good things in their life. They have a lot of pearls, a good job. They're very moral people. They're law-abiding person who loves his wife, a man who raises his kids well, tries to put good values into them, knows the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. This is a person who has been baptized and sanitized, keeps the sacraments. He's a really trying to be a good person, but he realizes that there's something missing in his life. There's something that's not really fulfilling there. And he knows that he needs more than this. He's tried all of these things, but he's not really found the satisfaction of his life. He has many pearls, many good things, but not the one thing that he's looking for. And so he's tried different churches. He's read Osteen's books on self-help and self-esteem, but he's still unfulfilled. He keeps searching, and then he hears the gospel. For the first time, he really hears a preacher stand up and give the gospel of Jesus Christ, or a Christian worker comes to his home and shows him the, the truth of the gospel in the Bible. And for the first time, he really realizes what it is, and without hesitation, he knows this surpasses everything that I have. This is more valuable than anything that I have. This is the one thing that I've been looking for. And so he gives up everything that he has to have this, this pearl of great price, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to come into the kingdom of God. And so he gives up his former self. He gives, he gives up the rites and the rituals, and he gives up the books and the efforts, and he comes and he claims Christ as his own. You see, this is what both men did. They, they sold everything to obtain what they wanted, what they needed, what they thought was valuable. And of course, that raises the question, uh, is that the way that people come into the kingdom of God? Are you actually able to buy your way into God's kingdom? You remember there's a story in the book of Acts uh, about a man named Simon Magus who offered the apostles money if he would give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Apostles said to him, perish with your money. And this is what people try to do. This is how people are trying to earn their way into heaven. They're trying to buy it. So they'll say the rosary and they'll go to mass. They'll pay the priest if that's what it takes. There are many ways that people try to get into the kingdom of God. But there's only one way, only one sense in which the kingdom of God can be bought. In Isaiah 55 verse 1 it says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, Come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And so you might think, well, then what is the, what is the point of including this part about selling everything to earn the prize or get the prize? Well, all of that is about the evaluation of Christ. It's all about Jesus being so highly valued that it pictures one who is willing to give up everything to obtain the one thing that he knows that he needs. And so he doesn't hold anything back. 
He doesn't say, give me something else. Give me something that, that, that's equal to or something that's just as good. He doesn't want his toys. He doesn't want his worldly valuables. But he gives up everything to have Christ. Well, that leads me to a second observation, which is the determination for the kingdom. And we see how both of these parables speak of an overwhelming desire of a determination to have the treasure or the pearl. It's the object that must be obtained at any cost. So we're not talking about a person here who has a lackadaisical flirtation with religion. This is not somebody that's caught up in an emotional moment because they heard a song that was played by a praise band. Oh, this is someone who saw Christ. And when they saw Christ, there was nothing in heaven or earth that compared to him. And so they were determined, I must have Christ. I must have him. I don't care what all of my vices are. I don't care what what people think. I don't care what my family or friends think about this. I want to believe this. I want to come to the Savior. I want to have him as my own. I'm determined that I will do what he tells me to do. And that reminds me of a person that I talked with recently, a person who said to me, I need Christ in my life. I need to have a church family. I need to have what you have here. I, I want to be a part of your church. And so we talked for a little while, and I talked to this person about personal faith, and I explained what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. I talked about salvation and how Jesus Christ gave his life to save us from our sins. And this person said, I believe that. I believe it. And she said, I'm ready to commit to this, and I'm ready to be baptized. And so we prepared the baptistry. But when we did, during that week, I felt a little bit uneasy about things. And so I called this person to see if everything was okay. And I called to ask, is that commitment still there? And so we talked for a few minutes, and a little bit of conversation went by, and the result of the conversation was, yes, yes, I have the commitment. I'm, I'm ready to be baptized, and I'll see you on Sunday. And it wasn't five minutes later that I got a call back, and this person says, no, no, really, I'm not sure. And this person said to me, I'd like to try a few other religions first. You see, she thought she saw Christ. She said she did, but she didn't realize what she found. She didn't see the value of him because what she wanted was religion and not Christ. She wasn't determined to have him. And so what she did, she took all the pearls and laid them out on the counter and she went through them and she didn't recognize the pearl of great price. And so what she did was to put the pearl back into the bag. And that tells us that that person is not fit for the kingdom of God. And I don't mean by that that anyone deserves the kingdom of God, but I'm telling you this, that anybody who does not find Jesus Christ valuable enough to give up everything is not fit for God's kingdom. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 9 for just a moment, and here we have an idea or see an idea of what Jesus requires. What Jesus says is that I want no interference. I don't want anything to come between me and you I want nothing in your life. I want you to forsake everything and follow me. And that's what it takes to be in my kingdom. Now, Luke 9, verse number 57. And we have a parallel passage in the book of Matthew that we studied some time ago. But here it says in the 57th verse, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. 
And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home and at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Do you see that's about determination? Is it the desire for Christ that really drives you? Or, or do you do like we see these people here? Do you start out and then you look back? And you look back and you desire what you left behind more than you desire Christ. You see, these men saw what they had discovered and there was nothing that would deter them from gaining that. Now thirdly, and very important, is the appropriation of the kingdom. And this is one of the keys to the kingdom of God. Jesus includes all of these parables in the 13th chapter to help us to understand his kingdom. And so he taught the disciples about growth of the kingdom, and he taught them about sowing seeds of the gospel. He talked to them about how Satan is powerful, and Satan is sowing seeds also in the field. And he talked to them how Satan sows tares of unbelievers and deceivers. And now he shows them another critical factor that the kingdom of God must be appropriated. It must be personally appropriated by faith alone in Jesus Christ as the Savior. This is so important because the Jews thought that because they were Jews, because they were in the chosen nation, that they would also be in the kingdom. Automatically they're in. Because of their birth, they're in the kingdom of God. And Jesus shows the disciples that your birthright does not make you a Christian. Being born in a Christian nation doesn't make you a Christian. The fact that mother and dad are members of the church, that doesn't make you a Christian. Now, many times I've asked people, lots of times I've asked people about what they believe and whether they're Christians, and I don't get a direct answer. People don't say, well, yes, I believe or I don't believe. Instead, they deflect that question. You say, are you a Christian? And they'll say, oh, my granddaddy was a preacher. Or mom was a Christian, and she took me to church when I was little. And this is the way many people are. They're trying to ride the coattails of mom and dad and grandpa and grandma in order to get into heaven. Wife or husband, that's, that's how they're going to get there. But salvation is not a family issue. Salvation is not a nationality issue. And here's something else that I think you really need to be aware of. Salvation is not a matter of who you hang out with. There are some people that have been hanging out at the church for a long, long time. And they've got this false presumption that because they've chosen certain friends or they've chosen a certain lifestyle or they've chosen to become members of a certain church that now they are Christians for sure. But that's not the question that is put to us here. The question is, have you personally found Christ? Is Christ really your treasure? Is Christ everything to you? Do you come to church because you've attached yourself to a worthy cause? Or you feel guilty if you're not here and that's why you come to church? Some people come to church because conscience makes them feel guilty. But that's not the same thing as personal appropriation of Christ. 
They're teenagers that come to church because mom and dad make them. So they come, but we notice that when they reach graduation time, you don't see them any longer. They're out the door. All this time they said that they were Christians, but they never saw Jesus as the greatest treasure, and they never actually really appropriated him by personal faith. And then there are others that are hit and miss Christians. Here today, gone tomorrow. Some get their second or third wind and they show up for a little while, but it's not long before they fizzle out. And you know that why that happens? It's because really Christ is not the singular thing to them. Christ is not the thing that really drives them. It's not the thing that they really want. There are all these other things that are in their lives and they surrender to that rather than surrendering to Jesus Christ. But it's very clear by reading these scriptures that Jesus will not accept anything but total commitment to him. There has to be appropriation. There has to be personal belief of the gospel. People aren't saved in masses. People are saved individually by the grace of God. People are saved because they have personally believed that Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty of sin that they owed to God. They're saved because they believe that Jesus shed his blood on Calvary and that shed blood, that that blood as he poured it out is the forgiveness of their sins. They believe that. That's how they're forgiven. Sins are washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the personal appropriation. And unless you've actually done that, then you're not really a Christian. And then the fourth observation, that's the jubilation of the kingdom. How do we know that someone recognizes the great treasure that's Jesus Christ the Lord? Well, I think we see it in verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Joy in finding the treasure so The man sells everything to buy the field. You see, when when you receive Christ, there's no grief in your heart about giving up things for him. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that anybody gets saved by giving up things for God. But I will tell you that nobody gets saved who has not given up everything with joy. Gladly give it up. And maybe that seems like a contradiction. But this is a very simple truth, that when the Holy Spirit opens your heart to understand who Jesus is and you see that treasure, you find lasting satisfaction and fulfillment, and at that point, everything else is shut out. You don't want anything else but Jesus Christ. You remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus? And he asked Jesus, what good thing must I do to obtain eternal life? He was a religious man. He was a man that, that, as we would look at him, one of, probably one of the best people that, that we could ever know, a good moral man. And Jesus tested him when he asked the question. He said, well, this is what you need to do. You need to keep the commandments. And he said, don't kill anybody. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Honor your father and your mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that young man said, well, I've done all of those things, or at least he thought that he had, But he noticed still, there's something still lacking. Keeping those commandments were not fulfilling to him. That didn't satisfy him. He still knew, after all the efforts that he had put into it, everything that he could do, he still didn't have eternal life. And what did Jesus tell him to do next? He said, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. 
And the next verse says, But when that young man heard the saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. See, there wasn't any joy in his heart. He was grieved because he was told to give up and follow everything and follow Christ. So what Jesus did was to expose what was truly in his heart. He exposed where his treasure was. This man, everything that he had was actually more valuable than the treasure in the field, more valuable than the pearl of great price, and so he wanted to hang on to it. So you see the parallel in this story? There's a difference in these kinds of people. These men in the story are different from the rich young man because they joyfully gave up everything. They recognized what they had found. There was great value in Jesus Christ, and they turned loose of everything in order to have him. And and that's the real problem with the rich man's view of Christ. Jesus had to tell him what to do. This, This man looked at Jesus squarely in the eye, and as he looked at him, he didn't know what he had in front of him. And so he just walked away from that. But these two men saw the value of Jesus immediately. One comes upon Christ by accident, the other one's diligently searching, but both of them had their eyes opened by the Holy Spirit. And so they were overcome with joy when they saw Jesus, when they saw the treasure, when they saw the thing they needed the most. They came with joy and received it. Now, as I finish the message this morning, I I would like to ask, I, I don't know who in here might be lost today, but if you haven't believed, the question has to be, what are you holding back from receiving Christ? Why are you holding anything back? Is there some sin in your life or is there some activity that you want to keep that prevents full commitment to the Lord? What are you holding on to? What what is it that's actually worth eternity in hell? And And that's really the choice that we have here. If you abandon or if you won't abandon the earthly treasure that you have, the things that you're trying to hold on to, the things that are valuable to you, and you don't see the kingdom of God, then you'll be separated at the end for eternity of punishment in hell. And so the question has to be, what, what is it? What do you have or you own or you want that's more valuable than Christ and your own soul? And we're encouraged here to abandon all of that, to see the worthlessness of all of that, and to claim Christ as our own. And then we have to ask Christians, Is there something in your life that has crept in that's kept you from full surrender to the king of the kingdom? In a few minutes, we'll sing a song, and there's a line in this song that says, Give me but Jesus, my Lord crucified. That that simply means nothing else but him. That's the one thing that I need, Jesus, my Lord crucified. But I'm afraid there's some here that won't be able to honestly sing that. I know the lost can't sing it because they're not willing to forsake all for him. And there might be saved church members or saved church drifters, I don't know, and, and they're pursuing everything else, and that's what keeps them out of the service of the kingdom of God. And you see how this brings us back full swing to what we talked about in the beginning? Christianity is okay for a lot of people if I don't have to abandon my personal goals. Christianity is okay if Jesus does not have to have the exclusive claim on my life. And so the question has to be, is he everything to you? And the person who answers in that way is actually saying no. He's the add-on. 
He, he's, the, he's the weekly tack-on to my personal agenda. And so I show up on Sundays because that's what Christians are supposed to do. But all through the rest of the week, I never think about Christ. I've never done anything for him. I, I don't, he's not really a big part of my life. He's just the thing that I tack on to let people know that I'm actually a believer. Well, he's not satisfied with that. You, you may be a person who has appropriated an idea of Christ, but not the person of Christ. And so you might be the one that needs to come and bow now, to come here and to cry out to God, help me, Jesus, to make you the treasure of my life, the true pearl of great price. And so my prayer for unbelievers is that you recognize the treasure that you, you see what's here in Jesus Christ, that you take and you trade all of your other pearls, trade all the good things that you think that you're doing and all the things that you know haven't satisfied you yet, that you get rid of all of that, get all of it out of the way, and come and receive this one pearl of great price who is Jesus Christ. And then the prayer for believers is that you'll go back and count your treasure again. That you go back and you look at your pearls again and you find the one that stands out and you renew your commitment to Jesus Christ and you realize, yes, having Jesus is more than fame. It's more than wealth. It's more than the world. And that answers the question, can Jesus have a secondary place in your life and you still be a Christian? And the answer to that question is absolutely not. No way can you be a Christian if Jesus is not number one in your life. That's what it takes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that we've read today. I pray, Lord, that it can be pressed upon the minds of everyone who hears that, that Jesus Christ is the most valuable of all that we possess and if we have anything that's in front of him, if there's anything we desire more than him, then we do not understand what we're actually looking at. We don't understand what the word actually says. We don't understand what Jesus has done for us. Because when we see the sacrifice on Calvary that pays for our sins, that takes our sin debt away, that reconciles us to God, then we know that this is the thing that we must have. At all costs, this is what we must have. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to someone's heart today, make them realize that, understand it, and come to you for this greatest treasure, the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In his precious name we pray, amen.